You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, fixed blade knives, and game processing kits. Now, we've all been there before, trying to field dress your wild game with a dull knife. This is where Outdoor Edge really steps in. With the Razor Safe system, you can have a brand new razor sharp blade with just the push of a button. No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30. That's N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off of your purchase. On today's episode, I'm talking with Greg Litzinger, who some of you may also know as the bowhunting fiend. While he's located in the Northeast, I've definitely noticed a lot of parallels from things that he sees and posts about and what I see when I'm out in the woods scouting. It's sort of funny, Greg's another one of those guys who I feel like I know through social media interactions over the years, but this is the first time we've actually talked. We start off conversation talking about scouting, some of the summer plans we got going on, and tendencies and challenges faced when trying to hunt various terrain types of public land. Then we transition a little bit into tech and archery later on in the episode. So, without further ado, let's jump right in. I I just saw you post on Instagram, you... Look like you either you posted it just now or you were just out like within like the last day doing some more scouting. Is that right? Yeah, I was out last. Well, I was out last. That that video was from last Friday. I uh, I didn't go into work, so I went out Friday, and uh, it was hot. I was like, so I was figured if I'm not working, you know, and the kid was sleeping, I'm like, I'm getting out in the woods for a little bit, and it was a. Uh, I don't really scout heavily this time of year. So it was uh, it was cool and weird at the same time because usually I, I I just don't go poking around spots I don't need to be. So, but yeah, that was a, a nice find. Is a balloons and that bed were all from the same session there. Yeah, and you guys I think have that same heat wave that we have right now. It's been like ninety mid nineties for like the last week. The sweat go yeah, getting, and we got sweat and go getting uh, getting mail from my mailbox. Yeah, it's uh, it's raining here the last two days pretty much, and it's gonna blow out tomorrow. It's gonna be like seventy high. It's gonna be like seventy. Oh, nice. And Sunday's gonna be cloudy, and then Sunday's gonna be a good day. I'm gonna try and get out Sunday, put a few more cameras up because 
it's like my first. Cause I'm not going to Montana. I'm not really going anywhere, and I got a different shift at work, so I can actually hunt in the early season after work. So I've kind of focused my efforts on finding a, you know, good buck for early season. Cause our season starts, I think, second Saturday in September. So they're still kind of on a somewhat predictable summer pattern the first two weeks to the season, first 10 days or so. So I'm going to try and find something worth going after. Okay. So how, how much of that uh, last trip you made out was trying to, you know, put cameras out and get a, a beat on deer that you might want to hunt versus like, it's just new, new terrain to you. And you're just trying to increase your numbers of spots and dive in a little bit deeper than you otherwise normally would. Well, I, yeah, this is, um, the spot, close to my house and I usually hunt because uh, I just want to, I just can't just drive an hour to go hunt salt marsh sometimes, 45 minutes. You know, it's, it, it's taxing on the family. So I picked a couple spots closer to home and I scouted them pretty hard and I wanted to put out cameras. There's some um, overgrown fields. So my, my whole goal was to go out and put cameras, find trails or come out in these, you know, overgrown fields to browse. So, so I was just walking through these overgrown fields and I was like, Oh, there's a trail. So I hung, you know, three or four cameras and, um, and I checked the camera I put out, I don't know, three weeks ago. And it was a really good deer. I mean, for this time of year, I've, I mean, a monster for around here, I would say if he, if he keeps going, growing, like, cause he's, I mean, way past his ears got long brows, like he's a big deer. So I'll probably going to put my cameras out looking for that guy. <laughs> I think I got like 11 cameras total. I'll probably buy a few more. Cause he's like big enough. Like I need to find that deer. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it was like, and it's like weird. Cause it, I just put a camera up on, um, it was actually on the uh, Instagram too, with the, the Creek cross. Cause it was dried up a few weeks ago and all the, the Creek, there's no flow. The water just gets stagnant. And there was like this pollen mixed with oil. And I kind of talked about, you know, it's kind of deer tracks everywhere along the creek bottom there. So you find out where the crossing by, where the oil sheens broke. And that's right where I got it. But I didn't have the camera because it was kind of up. It's up about 10 feet and the angle was wrong. So I caught like the corner, I oh. you know, like just a, a bit of his antlers. I'm like, ha, ah! you know, and I was like, and it was like two days before I, before I checked the camera. So I was like, ah, so I, I hurried up and got out of there, you know, cleared the car to put it back up and rotate the camera a little bit more and actually lowered it so I can get a better, you know, a field of view. And I'm hoping he's going to, you know, show back up a few times. Yeah. But it was like one of the deers that was like, you scroll through, you, cause I got like a car reader and you know, you see, you're like, wait, a, is that a deer? Oh, shit, deer. <laughs> so there's like a bunch of little dinks running around, you know, in velvet, like, cause it, of course, all the dinks were out front. Got a perfect picture of them, but him is like just the lower right hand corner. It's like oh, you. So I was excited about that. How much time are you gonna give it before you check that camera again? I don't know. This is like my first time really putting out cameras in summertime. So I want to say a month. I'm gonna try and wait a month, unless I, you know, in a week or so, if we get like another wicked rainstorm, I might swing out and check the camera because the the picture was early, was timestamp early. It was like, it was like five o'clock, 4.58, I think. So I think that camera's close to where he's betting because I did find some really good betting in, in postseason scouting. And I think it, for this, even for this time, you're like five o'clock, still kind of early for a buck to be moving. So I think I'm kind of close to his bed. So I don't want to go in there unless I have the weather 
to my favor, you know, sure. midday rainstorm, you know, cause I, I really don't want to, you know, this, this, this is a very populated state. So it don't take much to tip these bucks off. Like, you know, and then the other challenge we have, or I'll have is the, uh, you know, the bait hunters, they come in in August, start dropping their bait and it really changes what deer are doing. So I got a challenge on my hands. So I've never really chased anything early season. It's kind of like I yeah. just kind of like go find hot sign, hunt it, you know, like oh, I've seen a buck there, so I'll kind of go in there. But actually trying to target a specific buck, this buck here, I, I, I've never really targeted a single deer, I don't think, that I can recall. I've been excited about. So this is like the first, this is new for me. Like, oh, I got a target. And it's like, oh, what do I do? I don't, <laughs> as I've been hunting 30 years, I'm right. still like, what do I do? I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing right now. So it's, I'm trying to listen to everybody that targets specific deer. And they say, you know, don't rush it, take your time and, you know, hunt them like you would hunt any other deer, just be selective and just be patient. Do you have a lot of land in that particular spot that you can like, like, let's say he does shift a little bit by mid September, like maybe in the first week of September, he's still there, but then he shifts a little bit. Like you still have a lot of room to roam where, wherever he relocates to is likely still in public. Yeah, I, I do believe it's there's a couple. It was like a, it's an 800. I can't give the exact number, but it's probably close to 800. And then there's a small strip of land trust um, that you can hunt if you get a permit. Like I'm actually going to try and apply for a permit. And there's more public down the road, so there's a lot of public in the area. So if it does shift, you know, uh, the the beds I found indicate that he. I think it's that deer. Like I found it really, actually it's on one of the, the YouTube channels, like the uh, videos I did. It's a really unique bed, single by itself. And it was used up till I think end of March, beginning of April. I go, you know, cause I went there like every, like every three weeks, I take all the, you know, throw dirt over it and come back to be hair. And it's a really big bed and it's within, I don't know, 150 yards from where I have that camera. I got that picture of him. So I think it's him. That might be his little area. So if he does shift, I think he might shift back into that bed uh, for pressure. You know, if somebody gets a little too close. But as of last season, it's little pockets of because you know you got the well, you, you're aware of it. Like the public land, you guys they hunt. There are certain trees, a certain stand, certain trails. They don't really venture too far. Right. So I think these bigger bucks are just slipping through in between these people. You know, and they're just good at what they do. Yeah. I don't. I don't, I don't think he's going to hightail it out of her because there's going to be the same amount of pressure across the street that's pub, that's private. Those guys over there, they hunt the dog shit out of it. So it's like, where is he really going to shift to? I think he's going to just shift into that, you know, survival mode basically more than shifting, you know, far away. Yeah. That's my, my, my hope anyway. I could be completely wrong, which I probably am, but that, that I makes have sense. hope that he won't shift. And, and you're saying this is kind of your first time, you know, going, trying to go after maybe one specific deer. Well, last year was kind of one of my yep. first forays into trying to hunt bigger woods type terrain. And I don't yeah. think my big woods is probably exactly the same as yours, but I remember, yeah. you know, by like mid October, like November, I like basically had a really good idea of what the deer were doing. And then I remembered mm-hmm. like back in September when I was walking some of the same stuff and I'd be walking by clear cuts and things like that in September and seeing really big tracks. And at the time, thinking, oh, I still got to get back further to go you know, these swamps and stuff these deer are bedding in. 
But then looking back and, and even doing some scouting in the spring, it was like some of that stuff that I know they were active in in like October was not that far away from where those big tracks were showing up in, you know, September 10th yeah. or whatever. So it's, it's very yeah. likely that if they got the bedding there and they got the, the clear cuts and the brows and stuff, they probably don't have to, you know, shift very far. Yeah. And, uh, and it's predominant, you know, it's a lot of hardwoods, it's a lot of oaks. So it's like, uh, some scrub oaks, some scrub pineish, and, uh, some laurel mixed with pretty good night. Yeah. I would say, most of it's fifty percent oak, so there's a lot of food. Um, I just don't know what the food was last fall. Like those beds that I found this year could have been totally food based. But if you look at them like on a map, because you can't, it's there's terrain features there, but they don't show up on a map. You know, there's like a, the one bed I found. It's on a, like probably I think seven or eight feet on a knob. You know, maybe even ten foot. It don't show up. It's just a flat spot on the top of you know onyx even you know base map but it all looks the same but it's a terrain feature there's only so many terrain features in flatland so it's like i think they're going to use that bed regardless of where the food might be you know granted if i don't think you're going to bed there and travel two miles for food but if there's foods all around i think they'll probably still use that bed you know because yeah. uh i hunted this, this woods years ago and there's acorns everywhere so it's like there's never like oh here's a hot pocket of acorns like when they're falling good, they're falling everywhere. Like you walk down the hitting the head and stuff like that. So hopefully things are very similar this year, but like I said, I'm going to run the cameras and do my due diligence um, a lot more than I ever have in the summertime. Like every, I'm probably going to put all my, like I said, all my cameras out and I've been spacing them out every couple of weeks so I can check one. It's been three weeks, four weeks, check another one. I got like a, a nice steady rotation of camera pulls. So it gets me out in the woods looking a little bit more, looking for other people, you know, and deer. I just need the weather to cooperate. Because <laughs> if it don't yeah. rain, I'm kind of screwed because I'm not going in there, you know? Yeah. Are you guys able to run cell cameras in, in where you're at? Yeah. Um, I have. I bought one of them five-point link ones, the little piggyback ones. Yeah. I actually got to set up my yard right now to see if it works. Uh, like I said, I'm not a big I get a lot of cameras stolen, so I don't have high, high quality cameras. So like all I need to see is a picture. Cause even a blurry picture, you, I can see big horns. Like I'm content. I'm like, all right, that's him. Because here there's not many 140, 150 inch deer running around. There's one, maybe two. If you're lucky three in a season. So it's like, if you get a picture of a big deer on camera, usually if it's the 140, he's probably the guy. <laughs> right. Right. So it's not like, Oh, that's, Maybe that, that that's not the. I'm looking for the 150. That's 140. Yeah, I'm, I'm shooting a 140. I'm shooting a 135, 130 all day every day. I don't think any any state I hunt. I'm, I don't think I'd pass up on a deer like that. Yeah. So when you see a big deer like that one, you got pictures of. Are you going to go all in on that one? Or are you still going to you know put cameras out in like the salt marshes and the other places you normally hunt just to see what's out there too? Well, the the salt marsh, the one. There's a three-day window in November, um, and for the last three or four years, a big 140, 150 shows up those three days. Last year, I literally had the worst wind, so I actually hunted off the scrape, and the day the big guy showed up, I was like 100 yards away. I mean, this deer is every bit of, you know, he might be pushing 160. You know, he's a, just a, a mammoth of a deer, and it's like, I was literally in the spot, but the wind 
says you can't hunt here. <laughs> and the wind, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter what the wind's doing. There's a three-day window the last three or four years, four years, I think, that these deer just show up. There's It's three days. From 10 to 2, they show up. And huh. I thought this year was going to be the year, but the wind was just awful for that spot. Got a lot of, like, a little bit of heat wave came in, and we got, like, a south wind, which is, like, the worst for that spot. So I kind of skirted out, figured maybe they they do something. I didn't see nothing. <laughs> so I got that spot, and I think I'm just going to focus on the big woods uh, close to the house and that saltmarsh spot because uh, just time, you know. I'm going to PA, like I said, I'll be with Spartan Forge out there. I'll be with Johnny before and then coming back for the Wind of Warriors. So I'll have like two weeks in PA, and that leaves me like a week here and a few days here and there. So I don't really have a lot of time to be bouncing all around like I usually do. Sure. Yeah, I'll probably be going to that same uh, Pennsylvania hunt. I'm starting to plan my PTO days, but I'm going to try and make that one happen. Yeah. Dude, yeah, that this deer out in Alleghenies, uh, just a, it's a whole different breed out there. I mean, there's some just absolute tanks of deer. And it's just, and there's a lot. <laughs> you think like if you like I hunt like some of the big woods and nothing big like that, you know, half a million acres, whatever that area has of just public, but also millions of acres all around it. And there's just a lot of really good deer out there this year. These last couple of years, PA has really stepped their game up with their management and how they're doing things. And it's, it's paid off. You know, it's absolutely amazing what the deer are like out there. Yeah, I've seen some, just like you have, I'm sure I've seen some pictures of deer that I didn't think got that big in Pennsylvania yeah. coming out of there. Yeah, I mean, that that one deer bow shot this year, uh, John and I were, were hunting that same area, and we, you know, Johnny got a good video of that deer working a rub in the middle of October coming out of, a, you know, a, a, like a big blowdown bedding area. Just an unbelievable deer. And, you know, I shot my nine pointer and we were at Bo's camp and his, I think his cousin, his cousin brought in this eight pointer and you're like, you killed that here. It was like so big. It was like, I mean, my deer is probably 132, 133 inches, I think. And this deer made my deer look like it was like, didn't exist. That's how big it was. I'm like, <laughs> Jesus. I mean, it was like, it's embarrassing. Like my deer is pretty good sized body, like nice mass next to this. You know, it's like, wow, that's, that's, well, it's kind of sad because it's just like they're just big. Genetics are great, you know. The food's great, and the the, the management is just on another level out there. I mean, is that like is it the kind of area where? Because I mean, you always hear about Pennsylvania having just like a boatload of of hunters, right? So I mean, is this kind of like one of those areas where you got a lot of land, and most of the guys that are going to be hunting are just hunting during the rifle seasons? They're close to the roads, and so. Because yeah. of the vastness, deer are just able to get some age on them? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's, you know, rifle hunters, they, they all gravitate towards the, the young clear cuts where they can shoot, you know, 200 yards, you know, 300 yards. Um, so those deer there, they just, you know, the older bucks just don't visit those places during rifle season unless they're on a doe or whatever, you know. Um, but some of the areas, it's so thick, with just brush. You know, deer just get so big. It's like hunting, you know. I, I look at it. For me, like, even though it's mountainous terrain, I view it as almost like the marsh. You know, there's just so much thick cover that deer just get big. You know, you might see them, 
but you, I mean, I've had some, some deers like 20 yards. I mean, you couldn't even shoot them with buckshot. It's so thick. You see just antlers going through the brush, like that's a buck that, and he's going, but you don't know what it was, but it's like, it's just a glimpse of big bone. And you're like, wow, that sucked. But it's just so much, you know, cover. These deer can just escape and evade. And like I said, in the vastness, like there, they have uh, like natural areas where there's no, you know, you can just walk. You can probably get lost out there and die and never see another human being in so many spots. Huh. It's very reminiscent. It's like I view it as almost like a, a smaller, like less mountainous Montana. Like it's just like vast. It's like, it's like oh, I can't all this. And as you look at it, it's like you can just drive and it's like, it's all huntable. So pressure gets spaced out. Uh, and then some areas get harder than others, but I think these big deer are just, I mean, like anywhere, they get big for a reason. Yeah. You know, if a, a fire, if a fire comes through there, you know, and, and destroys a lot of underbrush, that might be a different story, you know? Cause I know back in the day, like my dad used to hunt when I was a kid and they were just, it's all mature hardwoods back then. Deer's a browse line. So they have so many deer and mature hardwoods, there's no browse. So you can shoot 300 yards. So deer could never get big. But now it's like they got you know, security cover and uh, all the logging they have to do and clear cuts and whatnot. They they really doing a phenomenal job out there. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. The places I can think of that are kind of like that that are close to me would be like northern Minnesota has a, a ton of you know Superior National Forest and and state forest and just like a ton of land. But the wolves are kind of an issue. Yeah. So it's like you occasionally you'll see a big deer that comes out of there, but you know with the rocky soil and stuff, it's like. It's pretty rare, I'd say. Yeah. Northern Wisconsin's probably a little yeah. bit better. Although, um, when I was talking to Todd Havel, he said that northern Minnesota for him has been like his biggest bodied deer and biggest tracks, and like those for him have always come out of northern Minnesota. So, I, I'm sure they they definitely have the the top end potential there. Yeah, I, I think um, uh, like the deer Johnny killed was it two years ago. That deer was uh, seven or eight. I think they were saying, and those deer, I think was eight or nine that he killed. I mean, so these deer are getting, you know, to that peak, you know, eight years old where they're probably like maximum antler, like this is as big as we're going to get. Yeah. Because like I said, they don't have the, the, the crop field. So there's only, there's a lot of, you know, browse obviously working for them, but I think they hit that peak and they, they, they taper off relatively fast, you know, and they just shrink big bodies, but the, the overall antlers just, I think just, just drop off. At a faster rate. Is there uh is it kind of a low numbers game? Like you might you might see three deer all week, but like good chance one of them is gonna be a good one, or the deer numbers pretty high too. The numbers are good. I mean, I the last two years I've seen just a boatload of deer, uh bucks and does. And I mean, maybe I got lucky, you know, I've had I only had a few sits where I'm like, I don't see shit, you know. There's only been a handful of them, but for the most part, I'm seeing deer. Hmm. Uh, I've seen a lot of good bucks, a couple of summers. You know, that one morning, I, I, you know, that deer I hit last year, I was covering up deer all morning. It was just a parade of deer. Big health. I mean, the does were like coming right underneath me. And they were just like, they just look healthy. You know, so you just look at them like they're full round. You know, here it is the first week of November. They're full around. You know, it's just fat, ready to go. And my buck that I killed, I mean, he was just loaded with fat. I mean, just absolutely just a massive amount of fat. So they're just eating good. 
like I said, all those clear cuts and all that browse, it's just, oh, it's amazing. <laughs> like that, I would never go to like the Southern Ohio. Like I don't really need to go to Southern Ohio. Let's, you know, I can drive six hours. Why well, drive nine hours, 10 hours? So I can just drive six, <laughs> get the same kind of deer. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause especially I always, I mean, I don't know this as much as the, some of the East coast guys, but it always seems like you hear about guys from Pennsylvania wanting to drive to Ohio for better deer hunting. Mm-hmm. That's all going to change. People coming to PA here more and more. And even Johnny was saying, like the the amount of pressure in the last five years, it's it's slowly creeping up. Hmm. Just because you know it's it's not too bad. Like most most bow hunters aren't like super diehards um, that live there. I mean, uh, maybe like around here, there's a lot of hunters, but there's only like five percent that actually are like in it to win it, so to speak. Most of them just go out to go out. Uh, so I'm sure a lot of deer get killed that way yeah. as well. But like the true, true guys that want to kill like a trophy potential, like P is a great place to be hmm. like all over too. Like it's not just Allegheny's area, you know, Northeastern PA is, I mean, my buddy Clint there, truth from the stand, he's always finding good deer in some kind of like big, I mean, on small little public tracks. You know, like really big deer, like, geez, that thing's a monster, man. It's like two or three of them. I'm like, geez, where are you at, man? <laughs> so whatever PA is doing, it's, it's working. You know, because here in Jersey, you can kill, I think, what, six bucks. PA, you're one and done. So people are a little more selective, I think, what they kill. You kill six in Jersey? Wow. Yeah, you can kill five or six, yeah. And the season runs from... September to end of January and some spots end of February. So it's a long season and a very populated state. So to get a deer that's six years old here, I mean, you're, he's probably like one of the oldest deer in the area because it's just, you know, it's just tough, tough hunting. Yeah. I think the only other Jersey hunter that I really know would be Paul Putera. And I know he spends a ton of time out there trying to find deer. So he's like probably one of yeah, the, you know, that those few percent that is willing to go through the amount of work yeah. that you're talking about too. Yeah, it's for me. Uh, I, I like that the high pressure areas. You know, I I don't want to shoot. Um, sorry, somebody's trying to call me. I don't know that number. Uh, yeah, I um, I just like the high pressure areas. It humans are pretty predictable. You know, it, it's tough hunting, but humans are very predictable. A lot more predictable than deer, and I think deer just learn to just adapt to people. And I use people, you know, all the time. Like I know this guy hunts here, here. Like I'll use it like a wind bump because guys hunt for bait. They'll hunt that same stand on them almost any wind. So it's like, all right, he's running bait here. He's gonna wind bump down here. It might push the yard over here. So I use people a lot, you know, pressure and people to my advantage. And like it scares a lot of people out. Like I, I pull into the like the parking lot. There's five trucks. It don't change my thought process. You know, I already know where I'm going. I know how I'm walking in. Like, a lot of people get discouraged. Like, my buddy Tony, he gets so upset when there's people in the parking lot or he sees people in the woods. Like, it don't change what I'm doing, you know? Those deer are so used to that. It's yeah. normal for them. You know, like, they, like I always say, these deer were born in high pressure. Like, that's all they know. So, getting bumped out of a bed, it's bird hunters, hikers, you know, uh, uh, bow hunters or gun hunters. It's normal, you know, for them to get bumped out of a bed and come back around. So there's no, they're like not going to run to the next county because they got bumped out. 
because there's only so many good bang spots. Right. So can you guys have, are you allowed to leave tree stands up to like, do the guys that have baits also have like ladder stands and stuff that they'll oh, yeah. go in and hunt? Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. They're still out. They year round stands everywhere. Yeah. You know, and, and we get the, uh, the fine upstanding citizens that will literally take a chainsaw and just cut all around <laughs> their ladder stand for their bait piles. And it's like, you, whatever cover you had is long gone now. Like, and they'll be like, they'll put the ladder stand in like a climbing tree. You're like, you look next to it. There's like a cedar right next to it. And you're like, you want to put in the cedar? Like you could, no, you're going to be out in the open. It's like, uh, all right, buddy. You know? Yeah. I see the same type of stuff in, in some of the Wisconsin areas where you can bait too. I see the same type of thing. Ladder stands out in just the wide open where you can see them from a hundred yeah. yards away. Yeah. And it's like, you're better off just sitting on the ground, you know? And it's like, <laughs> I mean, and I was guilty back in the day of hunting 30 feet, you know, 25 feet, you know, with my old lolly body climb, getting as high as I could go, you know, and I always get picked off. I didn't really know, you know, 20, 20, 25 years ago, you don't really know what you're doing. Just starting out and like looking back now, it's like they were seeing me from a mile away because I'm above everything. Like I'm moving up on the skyline, you know, so I'm like skylining myself. And I didn't realize it. Yeah. So now it's like, I have no problem hunting eight feet as long as I, you know, got something to protect my movement. I'd rather have that. Yeah. To a certain extent, I almost feel like if you're going to have high pressure, it is kind of nice to have rules that would allow people to basically establish themselves in such a way where they are very predictable, you know, like a bait pile ladder stand type mm -hmm. of a thing. Like some of the places yeah. I hunt, the hunting pressure isn't that bad, which is nice, but the guys that do hunt it, they're just like me. Like they're, they're into the saddle thing. They're, you know, they're yeah. using their on X and, and reading the hunting beast and they're trying to be mobile too. Yeah. And it's like, I have no idea where these guys are going. I have no idea where they're scouting. I'm doing my own thing, but it's like, I see boot tracks and that gives me like yeah. somewhat of an idea, but you know, if the, the ground is hard and you can't really read the tracks that well, you just, it makes it a little bit tougher to predict yeah. where the other people are going to go. Yeah. I, um, I've run that in here since the mobile, you know, uh, run and gun, which I can't stand that saying, but, uh, those ru the running gun crowds, I guess they, uh, I've lost a lot of spots that I've never seen people in before. So it's like, Oh, all right. You, you, you obviously are, uh, spend a lot of time on YouTube and, and whatnot, because it's like, that's some spots. Like I've actually had people set up in my trees. I go out there and it's like, and they'll, they'll go out and they'll leave the stand in the tree. You know, and it's like, Oh, you're just going to leave it there? That means you're hunting here a lot. And it's like, this is like a one and done, you know, maybe once or twice a year. It's not something you hunt all the time. You know, and you go back like January, and it's just a giant trail running to it. And you're like, uh, or, or I'll set up in a tree in the dark, you know, <laughs> and it gets light and it's like a bow hanger in my face. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> hey. <laughs> so it's like uh, somebody left their bow hanger. I'm like, oh, well, this spot sucks now, you know. So I, I think – the marsh by me is uh, I've had a lot of competition the last four years, like a lot of competition. And that's why I started taking my canoe and actually riding the tide in to get away from people. And that's just like, that's so labor intensive. Um, the return investment is it's, a, I love my canoe. I love being on the water and whatnot, but it's a lot of effort and time. And I just want to need to hunt close to my house and be, if there's somebody out and you know where I'm going, I have enough spots. I can, you know, still hunt that morning or that evening. 
it's like when I'm riding the tide out in the salt marsh, you get out there and it's like, oh, somebody's already been here. Well, odds are the buck I want to shoot is not out here. So it's like I kind of wasted a whole evening, you know? Yeah, you really invested in that one trip just because of the effort to get back there, and you're not really, you don't yeah. really know if it's going to be good or yeah. not until you show up. Yeah, and there's no plan B. You get out some of your spots, you, 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 you know, you hunt the marsh, you get out there, it's like, all right, I'm going to go up that island. And that's all there is. It's not like there's a plan B out there because it's like, well, this is all I got. And you get out there, you're like, oh, somebody's already been here. You know, it's like, well, there's a waste of shit. Like, I'm not going to waste my time. Like, I'll try and, you know, hit another spot, but it's not the same, you know? Yeah. You know, when you hunt specific beds, you need to be in a specific tree, you know, in a specific general area or you're, you're never going to get a shot at a deer or even see him. Yeah. Sometimes I'm in that scenario. I, I get to that point. I'm like, well, screw it. I might as well just say, <laughs> did the work to get out here. I might as well give it a shot anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I've done that a few times, but lately now I, I spent the sense of been a dad. It's like the statistically speaking, I guess the odds of me seeing a shooter buck in that moment, because you know, you hunt the martial lot. you, you know how old tracks are. It's like, that's kind of old. It might, might be a wing it. But you look at like fresh tracks or something, you're like, there's no chance. So I was like, I'll just come home and hang out with the family, you yeah. know, and save uh save the the day for another hunt when, you know, things are better, aligned better. Well that that's too one of the things that, that's made me a little bit more in the bigger wood stuff. And I don't know if you've seen this same thing where you're hunting in Jersey too, but the marsh stuff because of how much I think easier it is to understand what's going on by e-scouting and aerial photos. Mm -hmm. It's like a, it feels like a low hanging fruit for the guys who are just starting to figure out mobile hunting and e-scouting because the stuff does look more obvious. Whereas the bigger woods, you can look at a pocket like that and you just, it's not intuitive. Like you, you do a few cycles, you know, a few seasons and okay, boots on the ground, e-scout, boots on the ground, e-scout. Okay. Now I know what to look for, but it's not as obvious for the guys that are just getting into it. Absolutely. I, I completely, uh, 100% on that because I grew up hunting swamp, marsh, and like hunting the, re- the reeds and, you know, stuff my dad taught me. You look at, you know, reeds and tracks crossing the roads. You're like, okay, here you go back here and you, you kind of just like chip away at it so that surely. And then I put my own twist on it. And then, like I said, then I found Dan, what he was doing, you know, kind of validated what I was trying to do, you know, which I was wrong more than I was right. But now it's a lot more people are bow hunting the marsh. You know, 10 years ago, I never seen anybody hunting the marsh. Salt marsh, bow hunting salt marsh, nobody. Now it's like, hey, there's another guy here. You know, see, like, it's 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. Like, I'm, you know, slowly, because I got chest waders, I got to cross this, you know, this tidal ditch. And it's like, I got a short window to cross it before the tide comes back up. And it's like, I see another green light out there. And I'm like, too early for duck hunters. You know, and it's like, that's an odd bow hunter. And sure enough, it's another bow hunter. You're like, wow, all right. <laughs> I got competition out here. It makes it really tough because there's been there's been places that I've, and I'm sure you found the same thing, like places that I know historically have been good. And it's like, well, if I got nothing else going on, I got this one spot I can go hit. And it's like a two-mile walk in yeah. or whatever, but it's like, at least I got that. And then you go in for that one spot yeah. where you had nothing else lined up and you get in there and just, there's hunter sign, the deer sign's just not there or it's not fresh. And they're like, well, heck, if I don't mm-hmm. have these, like, I got to spend, I just got to start from the ground up and, like, spend a lot more time in here to figure out where these deer are relocating to. I mean, trying to hunt, you know, two, three other states yeah. in limited time, it's like, you just don't have the time to do that as yeah. much. And and for me, and then, too, like, I've noticed 
here in Jersey, I don't know how it is out there, but like cycles, like an area will be hot uh, for four or five years, three, three to five years, and then it kind of like tapers down. Like I shot my, my biggest inches buck very close to where I'm hunting, where I'll be hunting uh, this coming fall, you know, in the same general area, not close, but same general area. And the year after I shot my buck, that big buck, you know, word got out that, you know, I shot that buck there. It was people everywhere for like the next two years. Like I stopped going out there. So there was so much human sign. It was like, just deer signs literally just disappeared. I mean, it was like static, like no big rubs, like no scrapes, like a perennial scrape area. Like it's always 15, when I was 15 years old, that, that area was scraped up, gone, dried up because there's a ladder stand like right there, like somebody's on it or somebody's going to hang on right there. And it's like, and now, you know, maybe I've just gotten better at, you know, interpreting human sign, like I'm in that same general area, but this year I kind of scouted and I ran, didn't run into much human sign because I kind of know where are, there's going to be humans here, 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 just from historically hunting areas like this and, and hunting different areas. You kind of almost know where people are going to be. So I was like, well, I'm just going to go 150 yards this way. And it's like, boom, deer sign, boom. Like the further away I got from people or access, you know, and it's little strips of thick cover big buck side and it's like oh all right i see you i like it yeah we definitely got the same thing here where it seems like you get these waves where it's like it's good and then people start figuring out it's good and then there's more hunters for a while and then it gets bad and then people get tired of hunting there because it's bad and then they stop hunting there and then eventually yeah. you know just like cycles back over um i'm kind of afraid that the spot we we hunted last year is going to get a lot more hunter pressure next year so we've been trying to do a lot of scouting in places other than that just in case it gets like mm-hmm. overrun because i mean yeah. even this spring looking at the sign in there it was just like like i haven't seen i haven't seen a place like that before and, and the trail camera stuff was mm-hmm. good too like looking at the, the historical photos and stuff it was like there's multiple deer i would have yeah. shot back there and it's like well, well we'll mark everything we can here and just cross our fingers and hope that it doesn't get hunted that much but even if it does yeah. we'll, we'll have you know hopefully some other plans to fall back on. Yeah. I, I think too, where that, like I was saying that piece of salt marsh I hunt, you get that three day window. I just think, and it's, you know, when there's a law, like, cause I don't even see many like bird hunters and whatnot coming to there. It's like, it's just, there's like a week where human pressure just dies off every year. And that's when deer show up. So like, they know, you know, on an average basis, humans aren't here as bad this week in November. So it's like the deer curry up, run through there, and then the pressure comes back in and deer disappear. It's like they, cause there's so many does in there, and the bucks are just waiting for that human scent to dissip, dissipate or something. I don't know. And they get sneak in for three days and they're gone. And it's just so strange. <laughs> you know, but I guess it's not strange, you know, survival and maybe it's just their breeding habits. I'm not 100% sure. You know, I'd like to know. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, you know, I've, I've heard, I've heard that, you know, if you have, cause obviously different does are, are, you know, either early or in the middle or on the late side of that, like rot bell curve mm-hmm. and that same doe should yeah. go into heat the same time every year. So it's possible that like maybe one of those mm-hmm. does in that area, just like that's when she goes into heat and that just causes that cascade during that same, you know, three day period. If that doe dies or whatever, maybe it's not going to be the same. Just a theory. Yeah. I guess that, yeah, that makes sense. You know, or like I said, there's 
there's a lot of those, so maybe there's a few that come in the heat, and that yeah. scent, that smell is so strong. You know, maybe one doe might not bring those bucks in, but you got two or three does hitting that same cycle. You know, it's like just that magic couple days where it's like that sense is traveling a little bit further, and then bucks know it's like, and you know, they're opportunistic. You know, if you can, you know, like any go to any local watering hole, it you know, there's a there's a prime time to hit those. You know, to look for the ladies, if you will. So these bucks are probably doing the same thing that, you know, us humans would do. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, a camera that I had last year that it seemed like the third week of October. It almost looked like the rut. Like a lot of the pictures I was getting during daylight, like weird random times throughout the day. You could deer that looked like they were like trotting or running through the woods. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I wonder if, you know, there was a deer that, like a doe that went into cycle early in that spot. Or if like perhaps there's just, like a coincidence, there's a lot of daylight activity there because nobody was hunting the third week of October because yeah. it's all right, in, you know, for November. Yeah, I know. I mean, I've been you know, for I've run cameras. I mean, I've got these have these old giant flash cameras, and October twentieth has always been for the last fifteen years. I think fourteen years. I think actually no, said fifteen. First camera I put out was fifteen years ago. October twentieth is couple days prior before a lot of day walkers and historically wherever i put cameras like near scraping areas october 20th there's a lot of day walkers of good bucks not dinkers you know like mature bucks and i was talking to johnny about it and him and i we kind of think uh we think very similar with deer sometimes and it's like the buck they're just checking through i'm gonna check the scrape they're just kind of locate where the doe groups are all right I know we're kind of going, I'm going to fuck, go back, you know, and then wait till, you know, the, the second week, November or November 7th, I get a lot of movement around here and they just wait till the, the prime time. And they know those, those groups of does probably going to be heat. It's like they, they do like a dry run. Like, all right, this yeah. is my little loop. And they spend a couple of days doing like a loop, seeing where, seeing where everybody's at, where this buck is at, you know, where lays at and the bigger bucks just hand back, you know, they, they know where everything is now and they're going to just wait get there a couple of those and go back into hiding. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it'd be, I wish <laughs> I could like put collars on deer myself, you know, cause I would like to know, like, you know, tranquilize somebody's older box. that's like water free and just see what they do and like where they go. Cause there's some areas you're like, they just disappear and they show up for, you know, there's a four day window, five day window, and never see them again. And you're like, where are you living? Yeah. Like <laughs> 50 weeks out of the year, like where do you call home base? Because it is not here, you know? And like now with cell cameras and, and trail cameras, like there's some bucks that kill around here, like really good bucks. And I know guys that hunt some private that do really well. They'll kill a really big deer. And they're like, I've never seen that deer. It'll be like late, you know, right around you know, Thanksgiving or like, you know, and like that uh, Halloween time, they'll kill a whopper. And they're like, I've never seen that deer. And these guys, some of these guys running cameras year round, you know, they're feeding, they've got the food plots, and they're like, I've never seen that deer. And a deer's a massive deer, and you're like, you were on so many cameras. You know, you're a farmer, basically. You've never seen that deer? So it's just odd that these deer just show up and just can survive without ever being seen, being under digital surveillance 24-7. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It makes you wonder, like, are those just – you know, truly excursion deer that are getting shot, like they're just living on some old lady's property or doesn't allow hunting, 
or it's like, are they just there the whole time and they're just, you know, they do their own thing and they're not going the places that normal deer go. And and then they just make a mistake and the guys happen to be hunting on those days. Yeah. And, you know, I'm predominantly a, a better October killer than November. And I like October, especially if I know where a good buck is, because I think he's more predictable. You know, he's going to go through the bedding, especially, you know, the second week of October, third week. He's very consistent in what he does. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go here, eat. I'm going to come back. Because he's in, you know, just, just getting fat for the, what's what's ahead. And I I really dislike the rut on, on, as a whole. Because I'll see big deer, but seeing a deer and killing one is, is not the same. And I, especially with a bow, you know, you we've all been in full draw on, on a November whitetail and he just doesn't stop. And I'm not comfortably taking that shot. So it's like, I've been in full draw on so many good deer, and, you know, and never get the shot off. It's frustrating. So for me, like, I love October, you know, October and, and late season are very, uh, I think the deer are more manageable, if you will, predictable yeah. slash manageable, you know, but November is just tough. I love November. Great to see riding bucks running around and grunting and fighting, but it's like, I just want a buck to come in by himself. No does to worry about. Just He's just going to come in and shoot him and, you know, <laughs> you're home by 9 o'clock at night. <laughs> yeah, it's nice when that happens. So if, so if you were in a scenario, then I'll, I'll throw a, a, like a situation at you. If you're in a place where you're you're fairly familiar with the land, you know there's probably some good deer around, you got some trail cameras out, you're getting pictures and you, you get a couple real good bucks that show up, or maybe it's just one good buck that shows up, but he's only hitting your camera like, you know, once every four days or something. Are you, are you thinking like, okay, I'm at least in the general area or I'm in a situation where like, I'm probably really not in the game at all. And I need to like reposition, do some more scouting, put some more cameras out to try and find where I'm starting to get that buck every single day. Or do you feel like if he's showing up, you know, at least semi-consistently a couple times a week, that means like you're, you're in the right general area. Yeah. I think for me, I'm in the, in the general area. I, I would, I'd throw a few sits on that deer. Especially, I mean, I'm, I like, I know, you know, you're a good white tail hunter. So you get a, a buck on camera once or twice. You know, you, you know, especially like a single buck. Like I like to look, tracks you know if i got if i got a camera and i got like one really big buck coming through like i analyze this track and like that you know take like now it's your cell you know your cell phone take a picture you get a nice really good picture and i'll freelance on the area you know if i cut that track in somewhere else it's like oh all right well i know i got some bedding in there from scouting you know and i think i'll set up over here so i use cameras but there's nothing like you know following tracks like using your natural honed instincts if you will i think a lot of guys fail because they rely too much on the camera and less on you know hot sign i guess fresh sign if you will i think too many people uh, he's coming through here i I gotta hunt here you gotta hunt where you know the sign's telling you to hunt i think a lot of guys struggle with that because i mean we all know guys have great cell camera pictures and never kill a big deer it's like they get so stuck you know, on that one spot or that one little area, but well, them deer are roamers, man. They're going to move all around here and there. So you got to be able to adapt on the fly. Yeah. I was going to crack out of the guys that'll post on Facebook where it's like, 
hey, I got this picture of this this big buck. You know, it's like a 160 or something. They get a picture of it two in the morning, like just one random day. How do I make them come yeah. in during daylight? And it's just like you put your hand on your head and you're like, I don't know, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Ask permission on the neighbors. Yeah, like, yeah, basically, yeah. And too, like for me, if I get a lot of uh, midnight pictures, I mean, if you look at my Instagram feed, I I don't ever put trail camera pictures pretty much because people know I hunt very popular areas and a lot of people we follow each other around here so i keep all that stuff myself but if i'm not getting you know 7 a.m type pictures or 6 a.m in the morning or like 30 minutes after dark you know i'm pretty much out of the game for me mentally i'm out of the game I, there's no way i'm killing that deer like i had a deer last year he would come in about 50 minutes after last light like not sunrise but like the the last light on a scrape, working the scrape over. And if you stretch it out, you look on a, you know, the onyx or base map, whatever you're using, it's like, man, he's, because the public's pretty good. It's kind of like long and narrow. And it's like, there's just no way he's betting on that neighbor's property. And by the time he gets in the public, it's already dark. You know, there's like, you know, it's a probably three or four yards. And you look at the time, it's like, there's no way he's even living on public. He's just scrolling through, checking for does in the dark. And it's like, it's a really good deer, but it's like, He's almost unkillable. Right. You know, he, he didn't make, he didn't make one mistake last year. It was like literally within, you know, a certain time frame. So I know he was consistently betting on the neighbor's property, but you know, it was kind of, it narrowed down the funnel. Like he was just like getting funneled down into the scraping area. And it's like, there's this where he could be coming from could be anywhere. You know, you might catch him once or twice, but it's such a low odd area. You just be, I just be wasting fits, you know, wasting time. And that's a, I think that just comes with age. Like the more you hunt, you realize you look at the, the camera, the, all the intel, you're like, nope, nope. You, it's hard to not go after deer that's big, you know, because you look at, man, he's huge. And you get blinded by the horns, but you look at all the, the wind and, and the time stamp. It's like, there's no way I'm killing that deer. And for me, it's like I'd rather just go to an area I have a, a better chance to kill. Yeah. Do you get the scenario where – let's say the pictures you're getting are during daylight, but they're somewhat sporadic. Like you get a big buck and he's, he's always showing up. It's like an hour after, after sunup or it's an hour before dark or it's like 10 in the morning, but it's like, you know, one day he's on this camera. It's like eight in the morning. And then three days later, he's on the other camera going like a totally different direction, but it's still during daylight. And then he's like, like this, the first camera again, you know, three days after that, what do you do with that type of a deer? Yeah. I look, I would, I would look for a funnel, some type of, uh, something that's going to just narrow him down. You know, like, like some deer, like, you know, some deer are just wanderers. Like there's no rhyme or reason. Like even in October, you know, I've had bucks on cameras, five, six hundred yards apart. One day over here, one day over there, they're just roamers. So you got to find, there's going to be some type of something in that general area that might funnel him down. And usually I'll try and find a different area to put a camera or I'll hunt my way in, you know, and always have a camera now during hunt season and I'll throw a camera up. And I got a couple spots where it's almost, you know, like, like a snake. You're like just slowly like constricting the area because there's always a funnel or a bottleneck, you know, a pinch point, whatever people are, uh, are using to say in every area. And sometimes it's not on a map, you know, so it could be a blowdown. It could be, you know, a, a ditch or something. You just need to find that area where it just funnels some deer down. 
and that's probably your best chance to kill deer like that. You know, I've even had them on beds, you know, coming out of an island. There's like three or four islands. They got a camera. I'll put a camera on each, each trail. And he hits a different trail like every other day. He's not consistent. It's like that deer, you know, you can't kill him hunting that bed. It's like impossible. Like you would have to have like three guys yeah. <laughs> on each trail, you know, and it's like, you know, it's just deer like that are just, they're just difficult, man. And I think maybe that's a survival thing. They don't make the same mistake twice or walk the same trail twice because maybe they've been you know, shot at or hit or wounded and they know like you walk the same area in and out, you're predictable and you know, you get killed that way. Yeah, that could be. I think, I think deer are way smarter than what <laughs> they're, they're very predictable, but I think some deer are just built different. Like they're in survival mode, even during the rut. I just, some think deer just are born to survive. You know, they breed one or two does a year and they just are just living like ghosts. Yeah. It, it makes it a tough concept for, I think people to grasp when they're trying to learn and they're listening to podcasts or watching videos and they hear guys saying like, Oh yeah, they just wait till late October. And you know, that big buck will start doing the same thing every day, hitting the same scrape and he'll get earlier and earlier. And then all of a sudden he's showing up in daylight. Then he's going to kill him. It's like, I don't think I've ever, yeah. ever seen that scenario actually play out in real life. No, it's maybe in some areas and I get, it doesn't upset me, but there's different levels to public. Like if you're in an area, you know, like say the Catskills in New York, it's a lot, it's a lot of pressure. It's public, but it's, it's heavily pressured. Pennsylvania, heavily pressured. Like I've been in Kentucky in some spots. Uh, it's public. I've never seen a soul, never seen a boot track, like never seen anything, like no human sign whatsoever. So it's like, it's public, but it's very, it's almost like private because mm-hmm. nobody hunts it. So it's like, there's different levels to public and not all public is the same. Some publics just gets no pressure. You know, be it, you know, uh, it's a limited draw state, you know, or, or whatever it might be. We're just an area people just overlook, you know, I, I'm not 100% uh, sure, but some areas are just easier to hunt than others, you know, pressure-wise. Right. You know, it's like those limited draw, like an over-counter tag for like mule deer versus a, a limited draw tag. Yeah, they're both public, but the limited draw tag is like five guys a year in. Well, over counter is a thousand. That's a different deer. You know, the deer different. They operate on different wavelengths. Yeah, it's like you got uh, the scale of difficulty in terms of habitat and terrain, and, and knowing how to hunt it, and learning mm-hmm. how to hunt it, and then you also got the flip side of it, which is the pressure scale. And it seems like those two are kind of you know inversely related. Where the easier some places to figure out and hunt, the more hunting pressure yeah. there is. <laughs> it's like the, and the opposite with like the some of the big woods, flatter areas where they're just really tough to figure it out but at the same time you don't got a lot of people to to compete with yeah and you know you hunt the marsh and swamps like so many swamps i mean i hunt along the, the waterways i mean you go in there you, i mean you, even with chest waders on like you go up to your armpits and the stuff and it's like there's deer go right through it and like you can't well they become a a, a hub for deer well you can't even get in there hunt them and if you shoot one you can't get them out so it's like <laughs> Those places just get of you know like nobody hunts them, and those deer like they just live in there, you know, and they come out a few like a few weeks out of the year, and that's it, you know. But there's enough food and cover. Some of these deer never leave the swamp, you know. I don't think, you know, 
Yeah. And under, you know, uh, unless it's dark out, like they're not even coming out of the swamp. They have no reason to come out of the swamp. They got food and water cover. Why go out, you know, into Dangerville <laughs> and during daylight hours? Just wait till it's dark and go out. Yeah. Sometimes I give myself a little task where I'll just look at a map and say, okay, where's nobody going? And I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure nobody's yeah. going in here because I don't even want to go in this area for like whatever yeah, reason. Exactly. And it's like every time I go in there and try and scout it, I'm like, what am I doing? Like I tell myself every time that yeah. like, this is more work than it's worth. And, and then you get back yeah. and it's like, man, I didn't even find that much sign. But it's like I could have yeah. so easily missed that one little pocket where the big buck was just like that was his lair. I had to walk right past it, you know, yeah. with all that land that, that yeah. nobody's walking in. Uh, absolutely, because I – I go in those spots and it's like briars. Yeah, I'm going in there. And you get in, you're like, why am I even in here? <laughs> it's like, I'm just it's like, this is not even enjoyable. And I love that stuff. It's like, yeah, it'll be great. You spend all the time in it. And it's like, you're losing a pint of blood and like you get one couple good bucks on, but it's like, and then you go back to hunt it. Sometimes you're like, what am I doing? It's like, there's so many easier spots to hunt. You know, like there's bigger deer, you know, or same size deer right down the road. And I don't need to <laughs> like crawl my hands in the 300 yards, you know, or get, you know, like maybe like the, the tidal marsh, the salt marsh, like, like you got to crawl on your hands and knees sometimes. And it's like, it's water, you know, it's like, when you're walking out, it's knee high water. So if you're crawling your hands and knees. It's like, you got your bow getting salt water. You're, you're, everything's getting wet. And it's like, what am I doing? You know, it's like, it's just, there's gotta be a better way. There's a better mousetrap somewhere else. Yeah. But yet, every year I find myself doing the same stuff. It's like, <laughs> it's like some spots, I'm very stubborn. Um, I got a few spots. I don't even run cameras in. You know, it's like I want to do it just al natural. And the odds of me killing a deer are, are very minimal, but it's like I just keep plugging away. It's like, you know, I'll probably shoot the biggest deer of my life when I'm like seven years old. And I'll be like old man to see. You know, I'll never get it out or get eaten by coyotes or something. <laughs> but it'll be like my old coup de grotto last year. It's like I'll never even, like, nobody will ever see it. You know, it'll get drifted away in the tide or something. <laughs> but I see uh, like that last video you, you put out the other day like those lowdowns like I, I run in some areas like that and those ground sets like I've gotten in the ground hunting a little bit more back in the ground hunting I should say more and more these last couple of years and nobody hunts from the ground and I think these deer some of these spots like that's your best opportunity because they don't expect the human to be on the ground Right. You know, well, especially that, especially cause number one, like the, like you saw in the video, there's not in a lot of those areas, there was great, like great areas to shoot a deer, but not a great setup tree to even mm -hmm. be in. So a lot of guys walk through that and like, well, there's no place to put a tree. So I can't on here. And then yeah. the other part of it is if you did climb mm -hmm. in one of those trees, because there's so many other ones that are down around it, there's no front cover, there's no back cover. You're like, you're just exposed up there. So it's like, even if you did hunt that yeah. tree, your cover wouldn't be as good. Yeah, and I know, like, in uh, PA and, like, even around here, like, you see where the guys are hunting. They want the big straight trees, even for the ladder stand. And, you know, for years, I mean, you know, before I went to the saddle, like, the the lone wolf, I've set trees that are, like, four inches in diameter, like, three foot off the ground. Like, I got no problem doing that. And these guys just, they don't even hunt those areas. So, they, for me, like, those little areas are, like, havens for deer. Those sneak through there, bucks sneak through there. And I, I have a lot of success hunting those areas, areas that no, that everybody just overlooks. In PA, some of these clear cuts that get, you know, say they're 10 years old or whatever it might be. I don't know the, the age structure, but they're cherry trees that you know, ain't much bigger than my calf. 
I mean, the deer I killed last year, I was in just an old like growth of cherries, and I wasn't in a tree, you know, maybe six inches in diameter, ten feet off the ground. You know, it's like no human time whatsoever because you can't put you know the typical stand in a tree, and nobody people think you hunt six foot off the ground, you're going to get busted all the time. No, man, just don't move. <laughs> right. and you're pretty good, and you're in an area where deer don't expect to, to find danger. You know, and like as I get older and the more I do this, like I find, you know, I, I look for areas like we were talking about earlier, like where people won't go. And usually it's a, you know, a small sapling for us or, or, or little where it's just saplings that are grown up and some grass. I'll sit on the ground on a bucket, you know, no problem. And I'll see a lot of deer usually, you know, you get winded, but Hey, it's worth a shot. You get winded in a tree too. Yeah. I feel like the only thing you really give up a lot of times on the ground is just the visibility for being able to see a deer coming in a little bit earlier. Like a lot of times I feel like yep. on the ground, like you might be in a situation where it's like, Oh crap, he's right there. Like, and you didn't hear him sneak up yep. and then you got to get your bow ready and yeah. try and get a shot off. And that's something that, you know, when I first started hunting, I hunted, I was so small. I couldn't use a tree stand. Like my first season hunting, I was 14. So I hunted from the ground, you know, every time. And I made so many mistakes because you move, you don't know when to move. So the following year, I was a little bit bigger. I could get in a tree. I started killing deer. But, you know, 15, 16 years ago, my best season, I killed three bucks from the ground. I killed one at three feet, like one at 25 yards, and I think one at like 40. But it was my best season because the morning I shot my one buck, you know, I seen him, and I kind of like made a move on him. I think he's going to come over here. I like, I literally ran <laughs> in the dark, like ran the gray light. And I was like, he's going to go this way. I ran like, like sprint like 200 yards. And then like an hour after daylight, boom, he showed up, shot him. And it was like, Oh, it was in a tree that never would have happened. Yeah. So hunting from the ground has perks, but you got to practice hunting from the ground. You know, it's definitely not like you said, it's definitely not like hunting from a tree. Like you got to be on the ready all the time off your phone. Like it's go time. And that's very difficult for a lot of people. Yeah. And like for me, even like filming, if it's a ground setup, like unless I got somebody filming me, like I'm just more apt to just stick some cameras and, you know, tripods or selfie sticks and like just stick them in the dirt, put them on record with big battery banks and just let them run. Cause there's no, yeah. you're not turning I mean, them on when, when the deer comes in. That, that buck I shot this year, I had my camera and I had, uh, my, I actually bought a GoPro for the bow cause hunting salt marsh, you know, on the ground sometimes, it's like, they just kind of spring up. Like, I don't have my camera, and I'm walking out and thinking, oh, there's a deer. So I'm like, and, and the narrow the GoPro, it works. It's not the best, but it's footage. And that buck came in, it's in November. The big camera was pointless because he's moving all around. And I mounted the GoPro too far away from the, the riser. And I'm like trying to hit, like, the record button. My pinking was just out of range. Like, I'm a full <laughs> draw. I was like, I can't hit the button. I was like, no, it's right there. I was like, I was like my finger's just too short. And it's like, and I would have, it would have been great footage, you know, because I could have, you know, I was on full draw for, it seemed like two minutes going here. I was moving all around the tree, like swinging in the saddle, but no footage. And I was like, man, come on. A rookie mistake because I never, I, like, I literally put it on like a week before I went up there. I don't know what I was doing. But now I'm like, oh, it's a dumb mistake. You know, learn the hard way. Yeah. It definitely adds a whole new aspect. It makes it a lot harder in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, I, I filmed, a couple of deer there, uh, I never had a problem. And then I ran into 
one year was just one problem. The next year it was like, it cost me like a 140 inch 10 pointer. And then it cost me another deer. I'm like, I got to stop filming for a minute. You know, like I'd have three more really nice deer in the wall if it wasn't for like my camera, you know? <laughs> so it's like, I took a break from cam from filming. And then this year, last year I got into a little bit more again. And like this year, I'm going to get back into it. You know, buy a smaller camera arm. You know, I got, I got the original limo form. That thing just can't tanker its man. Uh, so I got to buy a smaller arm. I want to get back into filming. Yeah. The, the saddle's nice too. Cause I think it helps with filming. You can swing around a tree a little bit more. Um, you know, cause you're pretty good on your setup where you're coming from. I think saddle, you can make adjustments to the camera arm a little bit better than like a hang on. Cause the hang on's on your right hand side. Yeah. You know, it goes to your left. Like there's a lot of movement to get that camera arm around you or behind you to get the, the shot off of the saddle. You can kind of just like, you know, swing around the tree. I think a little easier. I haven't done it yet. So I could be completely wrong. <laughs> yeah. You just gotta, I mean, it, it's hard. It's hard no matter how you do it, tree stand or saddle. But yeah, the thing I don't like is like, let's say for instance, you got a, the deer's on the backside of the tree and you want to like, you know, lean around the tree or, t- you know, put your foot on a step or lean off the platform mm-hmm. or whatever to take that shot. Well, now you're just, you're pinching mm-hmm. the camera between you and the tree and I like, get the big three inch LCD mm-hmm. screen sticking out. Like you just, you can't, yeah. you can't maneuver as freely and easily as you would if that camera wasn't in the way. So yeah, for, for myself filming, I'll, I'll shoot you some footage. Uh, I was taking some clips today. I had it mounted on my bow. I've got like a shock mount to, to carry a camera that's got a gimbal built into it. And the footage is pretty yeah, decent. I've seen that. So yeah, I'll, I'll show you the, I'll, yeah. I'll send you some clips. It looks pretty good. I'll probably no. Not, you got to use a regular camera. Yeah, I'll probably not have to use a regular camera for filming. He's going to use what, like, uh, like a GoPro type action camera? Well, the one that I'm planning on using is a. It's made by DJI. It's a called their Pocket Two. It's like a little handheld mm-hmm. camera that's got a. It's basically like their drone camera, but it's on a stick. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, it's pretty stable as is. But when you shoot your bow, it's still like. It vibrates enough to yeah. where there's like a half a second of like blurry footage and then it's back to like tripod yeah. study again. So with that shock mode, yeah. I'm hoping to pretty much get it to the point where it's just like, like it doesn't even move. Yeah, like there's no shape. Making that. Yeah. I seen you making that. I was like, cause I was like, is he making like a windscreen? I was like, a, uh, like a, a microphone holder. Cause I'm like, it looks like the microphone holder. I'm like, I was like, why would he make a microphone holder? I was like, why does he need a new microphone holder? I was like, they're kind of, easy they're good as they are <laughs> yeah well i mean that's where i got the idea from um but I'm, I'm thinking like these are close but i might also try a design that's kind of like the matthews harmonic damper where you got the ring mm-hmm. and then there's like the just like the little webs and then the camera's like in the center mm-hmm. i want to try that out too and just see how that works but I, I think i'll i'm sure i'll get it to the point where it's just like butter you know for the whole shot yeah even at like 50 yeah, 50 yards you. you can see like right where the arrow hits if you crop in 4k Oh, that's, yeah, because I know I got the little 4K, uh, what's it, eight man. I bought a, and that, I got 30 yards, cropping in. You can, you know, it's it's pretty good as long as I keep the bow steady, you know, and narrow. It's it's not that bad. Um, you know, it's not the best, but you can see where your arrow's hitting, you know, especially with a light and knock. You know, it's not horrible by any means, you know, and, probably just roll with that plus try the other camera but i'll uh, i 
definitely need to get some more kills on, you know, yeah. on video again. Yeah. Because it's kind of, it's it's almost like a, a necessary evil at, at this stage of uh, YouTube and social media. Like, you can have all the scouting videos in the world, you know, but if you're not really getting decent kills, like, it's kind of like a moot point almost. It's like, why am I doing all this work if I'm not actually getting the kill on, on footage? Yeah. Well, I mean, to that point too, like with your, with your little, like the eight man camera or like, you know, anything GoPro similar, I've, I've mounted stuff like that to my head before. And that gives you about, mm-hmm. I feel like the best footage you can get with that kind of a camera. Yeah. Cause you kind of get that like little first person shooter type of a view. Cause you got the bow out in front of you mm-hmm. and it doesn't yeah. shake at all. Cause your head doesn't move when you shoot and you can see exactly where you yeah, hit. I, my buddy has a Tacticam and I'm trying to, like he don't use it. He bought it. I was like, this would be great. He don't use it. And it's like, but he's kind of cheap. And I was like, just let me just borrow it with the head strap, you know, and let me just see. But, uh, you know, cause I don't want to, I've had, I actually bought uh, the Solvid mount, like the big yep. heavy one. And I actually put a, like the, I got a Panasonic 770 handheld and that thing's great. I mean, I was shooting 70 yards with that thing and it was like night and day. It was like, it was amazing, but it's just, the camera's just too big for my head. You know, it's, it makes it like, it almost hurts my head a little bit. Yeah. Sit out there all day and your neck's nice, got, a, but... got a kink in it from. Yeah. Yeah. Basically <laughs> if I can get a, uh, a smaller camcorder that's Wi-Fi because I got the same one I got that's Wi-Fi so you can see what you're doing. You know, I think it's a little Panasonic app. You can put it on, you can like zoom in and out. I'm like, man, this thing is great, but it's just so heavy. It's just, it's awkward, you know? But yeah, I, there's just so many things now with technology that I just need to get back into finding something that works, you know? Instead, but. I got my buddy's got a 3D printer. I was watching like now I know you're making a, a footage thing. I was like, now I'm looking at my eight man on on the bow. It's like I could probably make get him to make something for my bow, you know, that's very similar. That would help with some of the shock. Yeah, just like a little shock you know? mount for it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because the camera's tiny, you know, it's really not. It's not big at all. It's super light. So it's a good idea. Thanks. Something else I need to see this summer. <laughs> Get add that to the list. Test it out now before before the season yeah. starts. Yeah, that's uh, you know I do miss filming though, like telling stories and and editing and stuff like that. Because a lot of my all my recent scouting videos, on the last ten or so, has all been done with my phone. And you're very limited at your phone, you know what yeah. you can do. Um, because I got like get the microphone again. The, a little mount for a little handheld stuff like it's nice but it's not it's not a camera you know it's good for short you know four foot away but anything outside of that it's pointless yeah that's what i was thinking it looked like you're i figured when i watched those videos like i think he's using a cell phone i was like trying to think of what yeah what had that look yeah and it's like cause it's like uh brian horton he was like um uh, just you, the best camera you got is one you have on you all the time. And yeah. it's like, oh yeah, I can edit at work and be in his family. You know, it's like very limited. Thing. I can edit, you know, when my daughter was like, you know, eating or taking a nap and five minutes, edit it up real fast, you know, at work, a few minutes, edit it up, you know, so some content better than no content. Yeah. Some of the camera or cell phone companies now, I just saw a, pre- a press release for, 
a company that's putting a one-inch sensor in their uh, cell phone camera. Ooh, that'd be nice. Be a good scouting camera, or uh, like scouting video camera. You know, yeah. even low light too. I yeah. Guess if you could make a, a shop a decent mount for it, that'd be great. Yeah, I think it's a one of those U.S. band uh, brands though that's making it, so that might be a yeah. that might be a downside. <laughs> We'll have to uh, wait wait a year, then we'll have it. Yeah. yeah. Once it grease enough pockets, it'll it'll show up. But uh, yeah, I, 4K is nice, you know, for filming. Uh, my I need I need a better uh, computer to handle that stuff. It just kills my the old school desk, desktop. I had some 4K footage from like walking in during bow season and and just practicing. I was going to try and edit it. And it just took forever. It's bogging my computer down. And I was like, man, I could, some of these guys that, you know, it's all, a lot of stuff 4K, but it's just, you got to have a high power piece mm-hmm. of uh, equipment to operate that stuff. And I was like, I thought my desktop was going to like blow up. Like it was like hot making all these weird noises. And I'm like, <laughs> are you going to make it, buddy? It's like, are you good over there? <laughs> you know, and like I said, and, uh, it's just, there's just a lot, you know. There's so much out there, you know, technology-wise. It's it's insane. I've seen, you know, what's it, Moultrie just dropped a, a cell camera. Yep. It's cheap, like the Reveal. I guess it's like a same Reveal, just rebadged, or maybe Reveal had Moultrie builders. I don't know, but it's like, oh, they have cell cameras are 100 bucks now? It's like, Jesus. Like, it's it's insane. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Well, and even, like, with the... Uh, like Spartan Forge, yeah, with Spartan Forge, what like what he's doing, like that's going to be, I guess, a game changer. I hate using that word, but you know, what what Bill's doing is going to make people actually kill more deer, not to see them, but help kill them. So I'm excited for what you know, all that stuff coming out. Yeah, same here. It's tough to. Uh, doing the podcast, I have to like hold back, you know, like all the stuff I know it's kind of in the works because it's like exciting, even, yeah. you know, on top of what's yeah. uh, already been, I guess, released to the public. But yeah, I'm definitely yeah. pretty excited with all the stuff that that he's got in the works. And you just look back and you've been on a long time too. So like 10 years ago, I had a crappy ass Garmin GPS, like just a green screen arrow pointed this way. <laughs> and now it's like, I got everything on my phone. And it's like, this is just crazy, man. This is just like, we've really, you know, it's a good time to be a hunter, if you will. Bows, stands, saddles, you know, whatever it is you're, you're into. I mean, hunting is just operating on, you know, firing all cylinders right now. There's a lot of great stuff out. Yeah. You know? Well, what, what's great too is if you don't want that, like if, if your hunting is your way to get away from, you know, yeah. the daily yeah. grind, then you don't have to use it, right? So like you can go get, uh, yeah. you know, make a self bow and go out there and just hunt primitive and it'd be totally legal. And you yeah. know, that's, what's great about it. It's, yeah. It's cause now I got kids. I think about like, man, well, you know, I, my first bow was, you know, I actually had a wooden riser bow back in the day and it's like, and my bow was 36 inches. And at the time that was like the shortest bow in the market. And I was, <laughs> now it's like, Jesus, it's like, this was short. I was like, wow. You know, big four by four grip. And like now look at those. It's like, it's insane. You know, it's scary almost. Like where we're going to be in another 10 years. Like we're going to like, because we got a plateau at some point. 
you know, what Andre's doing with the Rainbow Custom, Dan's doing with his stand, like water, you know, water jetting and all that stuff. Like, like where the peak is going to hit and everything's going to go like, because those, yeah, we've hit like a point with those. They're, we're going to be where we're at with those for a while, I think. But as far as like the other stuff, it's like, it's like catching up. And it's like, it's just crazy to think where we'll be in 10 years. Yeah. I feel like some of the, some of the building or like, I guess, manufactured products where there's no electrical component. They're probably a lot of them, I think, mm-hmm. pretty close to tapped out. Like the, uh, you know, tree stands. It's like mm-hmm. we went to, to water jetting yeah. and machining. And what did that gain us? Well, it, it gained us, you know, triple the price. But the benefit was, you know, you get a little bit stronger, you know, piece of equipment and, you know, a couple pound mm-hmm. lighter package, you know, percentile wise. Like, yeah, it's noticeable. It's significant. But compared to the cast lone wolves that we had 15 years ago, like they mm-hmm. were pretty light too. So it's like. Yeah. In order to get these, we're at the point where it's like we've gotten these huge, like, ink, like giant steps, and now we're getting just kind of the the more closer to the plateau, plateau uh, incremental gains. Mm-hmm. Same thing on bows. I mean, we had fast bows like ten years ago, and some of the bows now, like we're not getting, we're never going to hit four hundred feet per second with a vertical bow. Yeah. But a lot of those bows are taking the speeds of ten years ago, and they're doing it in a much you know quieter, smoother, easier to tune package. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like even like now with you know uh, like the three three D printing um, and stuff like that. Like you got the three D printer and other guys being able to print something with uh, and actually make like a, a viable product in your home is, is yeah. pretty rad. Like my buddy, he's always printing stuff up. You know he he does some prototype work for some companies. They ask him to design something. He's, like, he's extremely smart, not school smart. He's just like smart. You know, I won't say Rayman type smart, but he's just like, just different. You know, he didn't do well in school, but he understands mechanical engineering and stuff like that. So he builds these prototype things on his 3D printer and it's like stout enough. They can actually use it to test it and see if it works. You know, they make a few things and they make it out of metal. And it's like, that's insane. You know, just an idea, prints up, draws it up. And it's like, yeah, try that. You know, like what you're doing with your little shock mount thing. It's like, having that technology in the, the hands of the average consumer, if you will, is, is pretty rad. Yeah. And it's opened up a lot of cottage industry stuff where it's like before to, you know, if you were going to buy a product, like it had to be some big company who invested, you know, a lot of money mm-hmm. in R and D and development and tooling and marketing. And then you ended up buying it through like some reseller, like a Bella's or something. And now it's like, Hey, I yeah. can go, this guy just started making this thing that solves a problem. And he's making it out of his garage, and I can buy it and have it, you know, shipped over next day. It's pretty, pretty crazy. Like you built your the PVC bow back in the day, the long bow, you know, basic materials built uh, an actual hunting bow. And you see some of these trad guys will spend, you know, fifteen hundred dollars on a bow, twenty five hundred dollars on a handmade bow. I'm waiting for like the water jet, like people are gonna make bows, you know, cut risers and everything out of water jet. You know, and there's going to be like a, a custom one-off bow because look at the gun market and stuff like that. I'm waiting for a guy to like to just build some crazy skeletonized bow. You know, almost like gear, like what you got the gearhead, you know, but like a guy in his, his garage, you know, just making just crazy stuff. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely definitely within the realm of possibility. You know, it's just uh, for some of that stuff. It, 
some of the stuff is just the startup cost more than anything just to buy the equipment. The, the, the gearhead, the gearhead's been, it's been good. Um, better than like what most people might expect. I, I think the platform mm-hmm. has quite a few merits. You know, when, it, when people think of gearhead, they think of like the short bows. It's like, oh, that was that. Yeah. They think gearhead and they think that the 20 inch ATA bows, 24 inch ATA ones, but they make ones up to like 36. And when you look yeah. at it from like a, a platform stability standpoint, it's like those risers, like the bow is a large percentage of riser. And like the limbs are pretty short. The cam system is pretty simple, right? It's just a, you got your two equal cables and a string. So it's easy to yeah. tune. It's easy to work on. And the way that that riser is like bridged and spread out makes it really stable and, and uh, very stiff for what it is. So like from a yeah. target bow perspective, yeah. it's like, I think there's a lot of, I think, I think there's a lot of merits to it from like a, a target shooting perspective, especially well, there's a couple guys that that shoot the gearheads that you know they won Vegas, I think. Uh, you know the, I think gearheads won Vegas in the bow hunter class a few times. They're done podium, like done well, uh, and they've won you know a lot of terms around here. A couple, couple guys shoot them, and that twist, like you're not going to twist that riser. You know it's impossible. You know that riser is going to be the same as it is the first shot, uh, mid draw, end draw, whatever you want to call it. There's not many, um, like, I want to shoot one. There's just nobody yeah. that has them around here. Yeah. So it's like one of those uh, niche things. You know, it's like you need to be in an area that sells them. You know, I'd, I'd like to shoot, like, some of the little longer ones. I, I don't have a desire to shoot a 20-inch bow. Like, maybe 30. That's probably, like, the shortest axle-axle I'd feel comfortable shooting. Yeah. Um, my own personal preference. But then again, I never shot a 20-inch bow. The 24, it was like, the reason I bought the 24 was because it was like, I tested the 20, I tested the 18 and 24, 30 at uh, ATA. And I felt like the 24 had a string angle that was like about as low as I was like willing and comfortable to go. And I put a big, like the big size Bomar Mm -hmm. nose button on it so that I like cheated the string angle a little bit. So I didn't have to dip my nose Mm -hmm. down as far to touch it. Um, but I, I still like, so I, I got rid of that one and I'm thinking like, if I, if I get another one, I would get the 30, like the 30 is a nice balance. Mm-hmm. I feel like where you get that nice, you know, same type of platform, long riser, stiff riser, short limbs. Cause you jump up to the 34 and it basically has the same riser as the 30, but the limbs are a yeah. little bit less of an angle. Um, yeah. so the 30 is like, I feel like the nice quote unquote gearhead design. Um, but you still get a little bit better string angle than you would have gotten on the, the 24. Yeah. That's, uh, in the same boat. It's like, but you know, it's wants and needs. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. What are you shooting right now? Do you, do you still have your, your, uh, new breeds or you got new stuff? Yeah. I, I, uh, I bought a carbon icon last year because I had shoulder issues for my Montana trip and the, the new breed I was going to take. Um, I put new strings on it and I went like pull back the first time and it locked up. I don't know if they, they, I've strings, you know, it's my fault for not checking the strings, but it overdrew and locked up and ended up splitting the limb, uh, actually top bottom limb. And since, you know, you can't huh. get parts from it anymore. I'm like, yeah. I was my, it was so weird. It's like the first time it's ever happened. I've never had a bow lock up like that. Like, like I'm at full draw in my yard. And in the dark and it locks up. I'm like, um, 
it's like nine o'clock at night. My wife's sleeping. I'm like, um, what now? I'm just, just like, just like toss, in the house. Toss, like, the, toss the bow. Yeah, so does yeah, it blow up in your yeah. hand? Yeah. Basically I'm like, I'm like the door shut. I'm like, I literally, so I was like, I literally just kind of gently set the bow down and let go. And it stayed in that position. I'm like, and then by the time I got my press and everything set up for it, cause you know, I got the X press, which I'm not a fan of because too many goddamn things to move around. Um, so I put the settings back and by the time I put it in there, you know, it was just overdrawn on the limbs and just say they were just splintered. And I'm like, mm. so I bought the carbon icon because I was having, like I said, shoulders. You know, I wanted a light bow for my elf trip. And believe it or not, like that bow was the easiest bow ever to. Uh, I set it up, center shot. Like I just I rattle canned it. And then I, I was taking the day six hours and I cut the fletchings off. And I was literally just shooting through paper. I got the hand, like I put a hand ski on it and everything's just square. I was just shooting through paper and I was just cutting the arrow down like a 16th of a time and I was cleaning up the tear of paper. So I cut like, I don't know, three sixteenths off the arrow, maybe a quarter inch. And it was like just bullet hole, boom, boom through paper. I was like, huh. And I'm up, yeah, in my house, it was like six feet. So I go out to you know, like 10 or 15 feet and shooting 3D target, shoot a flesh arrow and a bear and they're both side by side, like perfect angle. I'm like, no, I get back to like 30 yards on the bear shaft. It just falls right into the target. I'm like, well, I walk in the house. My wife's like, what's wrong? I was like, I'm confused. <laughs> she was like, that's East Bow ever too. And I was like, and I'm scared. She goes, why? I was like, because things never work out this way. And I was like, my bed blew up. I was like, it should not be this easy. I've never had a bow tuned this easy. I was like, I'm scared. She goes, just, just relax. I was so afraid, like something's going to happen. Bow's going to blow up or something, <laughs> you know, but it turned into like such a sweet shooting bell. Like I was shooting some of my best groups at with broadheads at distance, like 80 yards. I was hitting like a pie plate, like every time, but with a four blade. And I'm like, yeah, I'll take it. And it's been just phenomenal. I mean, I shot four gear with it last year. And it's just, it, it's light, it's maneuverable, you know, and it was cheap. <laughs> That's the best part. You know, I, mean, I paid like 600 bucks for the bell, you know, I'm looking at, Looking that up right now. What what's that? Uh, what's the specs on the ATA and uh, brace height? I think it's thirty two and three thirty five. I think six and three quarter brace, maybe seven. Okay, so pretty pretty That's similar. It. Yeah, I just looked it up. You're you're pretty close on those. So pretty much like a yeah. similar similar spec package is like that BX thirty two, because that was the one you had. Or did yeah. you have a GX two before that? I had uh, the the. Uh, VXL, okay. The breed, the VXL, and then I got the the G thirty six, GX thirty six. Very very similar. So yeah, I for me the that three thirty five, seven inch, you know brace that six inch quarter. That's what I just gravitate towards. Be it thirty six inches or or be you know, thirty two, I just those specs for me when I when I tune a bow, I I, I tune for speed. For me, I like two sixty five feet per second, give or take. I get great arrow flight from it, and and I I'm con- confident in the arrow trajectory. Like I know what that arrow is going to do, like through the woods with the arc, um, and I get pretty decent pin gap. Which when you're hunting, it, it, I think twenty a standard, you know, twenty, you know, thirty, forty. I can from years of shooting that, you know, competing and whatnot. Like my hunting bow, I'd like twenty, thirty, forty, fifty on a on multi pin, and I know just muscle memory where to, where to hold for 35 where to hold for 15 
So it just flows well with me. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty close to where I was at too. I, I was shooting the, the BX 32 today. I was getting that set up cause I have a, I have a V3 that should show up pretty quick, um, from Matthews, mm-hmm. but in, in the case that it doesn't, I want to have my BX 32 ready to go for the yeah. season. And that thing, 515 yeah. grain arrow shooting 264. And yeah. it like, like I you said, it's pretty much those same specs and it just, I had a new, you know, new stabilizer setup that I was playing around with today, and just holding it at seventy yards, and the pin was just sitting there. It's like, man, this is nice. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I, I wish New Breed was still around. Those bows, they just fit me well. The grip, and and I like small companies, you know, very simple and basic. You know, I was actually looking at Athens. They're very similar to similar specs to New Breed. You know, nothing crazy, smooth drawing, you know, standard grip, but uh. I went to carbon. That's weird, like the carbon riser or the, the modified carbon riser, whatever the carbon night riser is. It just doesn't get cold. It's like, I was like, man, I'd like to have a, a aluminum bow again. For early season, like, I might shoot my, uh, the XL uh, new braid because it's cold. But, like, when it's cold, and that carbon riser is so nice. It's like I shoot fingerless gloves. It's great. Like, I don't really, you know, I got, like, a, a little uh, mitt. But then when I'm you know, shooting it, I take, you know, I got just a, a wool fingerless gloves and that's all I need for that bow. So yeah, it's that's like, a good point. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know if I could ever, I won't say that. Yeah. I guess someone sends me some money or sends me some bows. I wouldn't mind shooting another bow, but it's like for, I bought this and it's like, it's perfect late season bow, you know, cold November. It don't get cold. You grip it up for a few minutes. It gets warm. It's nice. And it's light too. Like, um, I can add the weight where I want. You know, like the the PSE carbon bows are nice. I just can't afford that. I mean, I could, but it's not going to make me a better deer killer by any means. You know, yeah. and the Hoyt ones are just way out of my price range. Yeah, I think about sometimes like, well, I could spend, you know, whatever, close to a grand and buy a new bow and just swap all my accessories over. Or I could, mm-hmm. you know, get like a handful of more trail cameras to be able to get more intel. Like what's yeah. going to help me like kill more deer this year? Like obviously the second one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the same boat and now it's, it's even worse. Now I'm like my father. I look at stuff. It's like time of vacation or me buying a new bow, which is pretty much the same specs. Cause I gravitate towards the same spec bow every year. It's like, or I just, I like certain things and elite has, you know, uh, expedition. They'll have those that are like in my wheelhouse. And it's like, same belt you know the grip like i can modify my hand i'm i'm a good enough shooter i can shoot any grip but it's like i'll just run a bow for a few years like i used to back in the day you know but if company wants to <laughs> if anybody else is listening wants to send me some money and some bows i'll surely take them <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like having uh like i said different bows too you know i got like i said the new breed and i got my carbon icon but I don't probably just rocking those this year, you know, I said, unless I come across like a major deal, you know, I, it sucks. I've been trying to work a deal with a local bow shop to, you know, I'll, I'll give them some publicity and I'll, you know, work a few hours in the shop. Just give me a couple of bows every year, you know, I'll do a couple of reviews for them, but nobody wants to see the bite on that. Well, I'll tell you what the, the videos that you put on, for your scouting series, I think you got to keep doing that. Cause I think those, those videos seem to be, they seem to be pretty well received for yeah. the guys that watch them. And I thought they were pretty good. 
Yeah, it's, it's weird because, like, what I'm doing now, like, I've always kind of done. And, like, before the – like, I, I put out a bunch of videos back in the day. I just stopped because I didn't really think there was, like, a market for scouting videos. Like, let me want to see, hear you talk about scouting. And it's like, I feel like I missed that initial search. You know, it's like, I feel people – some people took my – took my stuff because I used to like there's a couple guys there that that made some YouTube videos and about four years ago they were picking my brain on all the stuff and I, I won't call saying my name or his little click my name but they're uh they pretty much they just pick my brain and regurgitate what I said and they got a lot of views and they're probably making some coin off these videos and I'm like wow that sucks I got used Huh. You pretty much just used me for my information. And it's like, you took all what I said and you just, re- you know, you pretty much just repeating what I said word for word. I'm like, that's just not cool, man. Not cool. Especially now you gotta, you know, to get over that hump and get over the curve with as much, as much saturation as that, uh, that market is getting now. I got small things. And it's like, it's just like a time thing. It's like these dudes that they, that pump out videos every day, like, ah, that's rough, man. <laughs> I was doing one a week there during the scouting season, like, I think the month of March. I was doing one a week. I was exhausted from doing that. <laughs> I'm like, these dudes are like, doing, like, videos, like, every day. They, like, they must be filming, like, on a weekend and filming, like, 30 videos and editing up and just, like, chopping it up, putting it out. Because some of these people are, like, family, man. Like, I don't know. I can't leave my wife alone with kids. I just feel like a horrible parent, a horrible father or husband. Like, even, like, doing some podcasts sometimes. You know, I hear, like, right now, you know, my daughter is going buck nutty upstairs. My wife's got to handle all that. And it's like, mm, sorry, hon. Yeah, I think some of those people are just in, like, the right life space where they can they can spend a lot of time just, like, doing whatever. Just mm-hmm. have, like, a dis- lot of disposable time, and that's, like, a good fit. But, I mean, then there's other, like, folks. Yeah. I mean, like, you look at the THB and, like, their whole – all of their lives yeah. are, like, built yeah. around that platform and, like, making content for yeah. it. Yeah, it's, it, it requires work. You know, like I actually signed a new, uh, I, I'm leaving the building I'm at now, going back to the airport for better hours. So, so I'll be working six to two. So I won't have to get up at 2 a.m. anymore. So maybe I can get back into actually the last three years of my life. I've just been like the worst hours possible for, for any, going to bed at eight o'clock at night. You know, you don't, it don't leave you much time for anything. Yeah. So I'm hoping those hours will help me at least dedicate a few more hours. To, to shooting and like, like my back room's a mess. So I don't have time to clean on the weekend and doing yard work. I found myself. It's like, oh, so I found up. I need to handle that. I need to do that. No, nope, I'll get to it next week. Next week. And it's like three years later, like, man, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Unreal. But I, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I need to get back into it. But, you know, it's just it's one of those things you just got to just do it, bite the bullet and do it. But I got like three more videos on my phone i could edit i gotta clean them up because a lot of the wind was awful i guess my microphone skipped out that day so well ain't nothing worse than putting a video up with horrible audio mm-hmm. that's like the worst like i can't even do it i got i had two scattered this year that it was so windy even with the the road mic like the little the mini shot like a little puffball yeah it was awful you know it's like i can't like i tried to clean it up the best i could it's just like i can't even put that out there you know it's just, it's so bad. Cause like all the good stuff, it's like, you see my lips moving. I'm like, 
well, that's not helping anybody because it's like, I know exactly what I'm saying, but I'm like, nobody knows what I'm saying right there. And it's like, I try to recreate my backyard. It's just not the same. Like the moment's gone, like that, that vibe, the energy, it's like, eh, I'll just throw that one away. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Even with the, I use the little furry muffs on the lav mics. Mm -hmm. And even then, it's yeah. like I, I still get subconscious. I feel that wind gust going. I'll like turn my shoulder and like try and hide it a little bit, like block my yeah. the mic from the wind. So, yeah, it's like always at the worst time too. It's like if something good's going down. It's like, <laughs> like really, and then like it stops and like birds are chirping. Like, come on, man, <laughs> it's just like like the salt marsh, you know? Because I'm literally out on the bay, basically. And the wind's ripping so bad sometimes. Like I've had so many videos. It's like. I'm talking and you get back, you put on there, you can't hear anything. There's like five minutes of just wind. And it's like, wow. Okay. And then same thing, like three or four times, like this is just frustrating. That's the way to put it. You know, all that time and effort, lug all that camera gear out there and nothing happens. Yep. You can't get nothing from it. It's like, mm -hmm. well, we'll definitely have to do some more episodes throughout, throughout time. Cause, yeah. uh, I feel like I just, like we went through a lot of good stuff of like, just kind of mm -hmm. feel like I scratched the surface of like how, how Greg yeah. works and how his mind thinks and like, you know, what you see in your neck of the woods. But I definitely, yeah. I think I, this is, this is good stuff. Yeah. It's, it, it flows very well. That wasn't forced or, or sketchy. Yeah. It's always nice to, uh, I've been on some podcasts that people that don't help public, they, they don't understand how difficult it can be like like you you struggle like you know exactly what i'm going through the pressure that the, they're fine you're hitting it so it's a lot it's nice talking to someone very similar you know there's different areas but same problems basically yep you know the same goal same problems but you know you know what it's like struggling and grinding and having like zero success for a long time then it's like surprise <laughs> yep yeah, it's funny too because I feel like there's there's certain people that just like through the you know watching their stuff or like just being kind of generally in the same circle, you feel like you know that person already. Like you're like one of those guys, right? This is probably the first time we've ever really talked, but I feel like I I kind of yeah. know you a little bit by this point. Yeah, like I said that last video you were doing as you're going through, and you're like walking up to that first bush rub. It's like, and I can like see it in the video. It's like. And I know those rubs, I know those trees, and it's like, man, like I was right there with you in that, like half that video. It's like, yep, and uh, it's pretty cool because, like I said, there's only a handful of people that I've I've run across, you know, like Johnny Stewart, um, you know, like uh, Double Long, my old buddy from Long Island, same way. Like, just we just operate on the same wavelength, you know, different tactics, whatever. But it's like the the end, the end's the same. You know, you can hang out in the room, and everybody's like, ah, oh, I get it. You know, I understand. Yep. And the social media is good good for that point, you know. A lot of people talk trash about it, but, you know, you can talk trash about anything. You know, I, I've met so many cool, had so many cool experiences because of YouTube and Instagram. It's like, I wouldn't change it for the world. You know, I've been given some, afforded some opportunities that I never would have got without social media, you know, or the podcasting guys like you. So I'm like super grateful and, it's pretty rad that people want to hear my stories because I don't think I've done anything special. Uh, I think that I've said that numerous times. I think, I think that's why people 
gravitate towards me because I don't feel like I've done anything different than anybody else. I've just been lucky to kill a few deer along the way. So obviously you have your YouTube channel, but uh, why yeah. don't you go ahead and like tell people where where they can kind of follow what you're what you're doing? Yeah. Instagram, Bohun Teen, uh, YouTube, same channel. Um, trying to work on a Facebook page, um, but that's that's a whole different monster. That's like I feel like an idiot trying to set up Facebook page. Yeah. It's probably so simple, but I'm so confused by it. I get frustrated, but maybe by the end of summer, I'll have to figure it out. <laughs> but Instagram and YouTube, uh, <laughs> I might have to pay somebody for a Facebook thing. You know, it's because it's just, I don't know. It just seems not streamlined for a technology company. Or maybe Instagram was just so easy. YouTube and Instagram was so easy for me, but Facebook seems complicated. I don't know why. Maybe I'm just not that smart. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get it figured out. You shoot me a message, we'll get you a Facebook set up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I said I'd let, definitely like to come back on. I think we can uh, hit a few more things up in more detail. Yeah, for sure. Uh, especially like summer scouting, because this will be, like I said, my first time summer actually really pattern trying to pattern, you know, a few big deer. So it'd be, I think, a pretty cool story to go along with it. Yeah, and it'll be it'll be similar for me too because uh, I've I've done I've tried to do the summer thing before, but I feel like this year I've got a much better handle on it, and it sounds like you do too. So mm-hmm. we'll be able to compare notes, I think, and you know see what yeah, we learn. Yeah, it'll be uh, live vicariously through one another. Yep, <laughs> for sure. All right, well I'll let you get Come back on, to get back appreciate to your day. It. Yeah, dad life calling me. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yep, I'll talk to you later.